Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Welcome to the Insiders Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Simon Hazeldean. I'm a sales transformation strategist and sales performance consultant, and I help my clients get more sales more often with more margin. I'm also a keynote speaker and the author of several books on sales and negotiation. I'm your host, along with my co-host, the one and only Richard Lane, who is the co-founder of Durham Lane, who are an inside sales partner that helps businesses to grow their revenue through an integrated sales and marketing methodology. So, Richard, over to you to introduce our guest for this episode, please. Thank you, Simon. Great to be uh, be here on the podcast. Really absolutely thrilled to welcome Emma Botfield to our podcast today. Emma is the MD for the UK and Ireland of RS Group. And Emma, thrilled to have you with us. I know through our pre-conversation, we've got some uh, amazing topics to get through today. So I'm going to hand back to Simon and we'll get going. But welcome. Wonderful. Yeah. Welcome, Emma. Thank you, Richard. Uh, First question, Emma, we normally ask just so our, our listeners can get to know our guest a little bit. Could you just give us a little bit of background, how you came to be in the role you're in currently? I think that will be a, a great place to get started. Yeah, great to be here, Simon and Richard. Looking forward to having uh, a good conversation with you both. So I've been at uh, RS, well, it'll be eight years in August. Um, I was only ever intending to stay a year, but I had many more reasons to stay than to leave because I wanted a taste of a completely different industry. Um, I'd worked in financial services and public and private sector previously um, and just saw the opportunity to help our organisation realise its ambitions. So I've had various number of roles in the organisation, leading customer operations, inside sales, our branch network, and delivered results through that and was really privileged and humbled about 16 months ago to be given the opportunity to lead the UK and Irish market for, for RS really pleased uh, in terms of how we're creating the right culture in terms of achieving our ambitions. So yeah, that's how I ended up in my MD role. Wonderful. And since you've stepped up to the MD role, it'd be really interesting, you know, we topic here on the podcast, always around sales and marketing. So in your MD position, have you seen sales and marketing differently maybe than you did in other roles in the organisation? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You will always think when you're in a functional role that you you look at things holistically, but really you don't. I, I, would, I, would, I would say if you're honest with yourself, you, you think you want to, but there is always that functional lens. Moving into the MD role, you have to look at it more holistically and you have to look at it through a customer lifecycle lens rather than a functional lens because it drives investment decisions, it drives ways of working, it drives organisational structures. Um, And I've come to the conclusion that it's not sales and marketing or marketing and sales, it's mar sales. They have to go together. And it's not digital versus human, it's complementary of where the most value can be added through activity. 
I sometimes think of it, um, when you think of a marriage, you have two sets of in-laws. Um, and when they first meet, they're fussing each other out and one wants to be the better in-law than the other. Um, but if you can get them to focus on the couple rather than themselves, then you've got a really powerful force. And and that's how I tend to now look in this MD role at that whole Mar sales. Because I, I have to stop saying the and because they're interconnected. You might have you might want to copyright that or definitely register the domain name or something, Emma. I think you know you never know. It too too late, happen. too late, Simon. I've just uh, just done that as uh, I'm <laughs> Well, and Richard, I know at, at Durham Lane, um, I'd be fascinated your take on on. I love this sort of in-laws analogy. So, um, your take on why in-laws? No, let's no, let's move on to sales and marketing because <laughs> uh, Richard might need to go into some personal stuff. Are we just going to just get in? the way so uh, your perspective on this this division that exists sometimes yeah i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go down the in-law track so we'll uh we'll cut that one off right there simon i think but um i have wonderful in-laws it should be said for the record um i i, I loved your point there when i was i was actually i'm gonna swerve maybe simon's question a little bit because i think your background in customer service is really interesting because should we be talking Mar sales or should we be talking customer? You know, and actually it's sort of maybe the the level up, isn't it? And I always joke that marketing's done a better job of selling itself than sales has. And I think that's the reality. Um, uh, and and I've seen, I, I, I spend my life not talking about in-laws, but talking about relay races and who's handing off the baton to who. Um, but ultimately, it's it's the customer life cycle. It's the how do we support our customer? And and I guess you do have to have different divisions, don't you? Because everyone needs to sit in a, a place in the in the business. And you've got engineering, and you've got pre-sales, and you've got production, etc. But um, if everybody is focused on the customer, you you tend to win. Yeah, because then if you are having debates, they are debates about how do we best serve our customer, not debates about where does the budget go. You know, healthy debate and tension is good in an organisation if it's focused on a clear purpose. And I think if we're helping the customers to win and the customers to get what they want, then it'll work itself through, I think, a lot better. So Emma, does your background in customer, do you think that's given you a, a different insight than some have maybe? Yeah, I think it's gave me a natural thought process because, I don't know, it's innate in me to just talk customer yeah. um, from the outset in terms of how are we attracting them to how are we keeping them, how are we driving loyalty um, and how are we constantly adding value. So I just think that is part of my professional DNA. Mm. Taking that on to the next level then, those that now report into you as UK and Republic of Ireland MD, are they seeing or feeling the change or the, the customer centricity that, that you bring naturally? We've always been driven as an organisation to be first choice for customers. But I think it, it's um, I've been in a fortunate place where because other people have moved into different roles, I've created a brand new leadership team um, and it is brand new. My recruitment approach has always been focused on the customer. So really talking about, is it customer rhetoric or is it customer passion? And, and does it really make a difference? And do people really think customer? So I think that whole talent acquisition piece 
has played a huge part in just setting the tone and the language and the behaviours that we expect around around customer. So it's it's always in our conversations. Yeah, and that's when it's a culture or a philosophy, isn't it, rather than a statement that how many times have you seen it on office room walls, you know, customer first yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And it, it might be laminated on the office wall, but it's not lived, is it, in the organisation? So that's really kind of interesting to hear that. And in terms of your customers, what are the changes you've seen in, say, what are they demanding? What are they expecting from you and from your industry? What are the big, you know, things that have been impacting from that point of view? We deal with every industry sector you can possibly think of in the UK from a manufacturing and production point of view to education, public sector. And I think over the last couple of years, they've been shaken to the core in terms of um, what are they looking for in a supplier? Because, you know, we are a distribution organisation moving to be um, a technology solutions provider and customers want to um, really find a partner rather than a supplier. They want to move away from transactional relationships. They don't want to be sold to. They want people who can help solve their problems and help them to achieve their outcomes. And it has to be value-driven, but value in, in what they class as value, not necessarily what we class as value. And also, I think the appreciation of data and insight has come to the fore um, because people were time poor before they're even more so now and they don't want to be sold to they, they really don't they want data-led decision making through a partner that can add value to their organization um, and that's coming out really strong because we're seeing buying behaviors change rapidly yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, we've all seen those kind of changes taking place and the move to solution selling or value selling or whatever, whatever label people might want to attach to it. And it sometimes I think it's almost like it's the art of selling without selling now. People just don't want the, the classic pitch approach anymore. I think it just irritates them, irritates them enormously. Richard, is that something you, you see as well out there in the world? I mean, you, you've got quite a wide number of clients that you, you help in the sales arena. Yeah, 100%, Simon. So, I mean, our, our methodology, selling at high level, is based on question-based consultative sales. Our third mantra is be interested to be interesting. You know, the more interested you are in other people, the more interesting you naturally become to them. And our first mantra is business fit, business value. So, you know, we should be prospecting to people where we believe there's a fit, where we can add value to what we think the problems and challenges they've got based on the research that we've done. And you can do that at an SDR level through to a senior account management role at a, a probably on a, a different scale. So seeing that trend right across our, our client estate, across all enterprise customers, I think the, the other thing we're seeing that is sort of rocket fuel as well for the sales industry is the shift from being in the field to being behind the desk. And I think when you, when you take that consultative sales approach and take away the I'm going to get in my car and drive for two hours to go and see someone to have that conversation. Then you unlock a real huge amount of opportunity, but you also probably create some fear for people as as well, I think. So it'd be interesting, Emma, to know, you know how RS Group has, has sort of dealt with everybody becoming an inside sales professional overnight when the pandemic hit. It's amazing, isn't it, that, that you know, the catalyst for change and how people adapt 
the willingness to suddenly have video conference conversations was was fantastic. Some people needed more support than others because it was a complete change when you're out on the road and then you're at home trying to engage in a different way. But we saw more collaboration between our customers, our inside sales and our field sales. So there was that triangulation in terms of adding the skills and using the skills and the, and the people where they are going to add most value. And it's really helped us think about now we are living with the madness of the world around us. What is the role of a field salesperson? And and where can they add most value? You know, there is still value for us for people to go and meet with engineering directors on the shop floor, get a feel for the production environment to understand what solutions are best suited to solve their problems. Whereas our inside sales were probably targeting different types of personas because procurement people now want to interact in a virtual world in a virtual way so we've seen a huge transition for our people but it really helped you know people adapt to new technologies and different technologies more quickly i think if if nothing else it'll be a more considered decision rather than a default to go and visit a customer in person very interesting to see the hierarchy that often seems to exist is inside sales do smaller customers and field sales do the big ones, you know, which often, and that's turned everything on its head as well, I think. And of course, in with a customer focus, how does the customer want their relationship to be managed rather than how do we want to organise ourselves? That's absolutely right. And, you know, and that's been key. We've done a lot of discovery with our customers in terms of, what's what's it meant for them now how how do they want to build a partnership with us because that's what we're looking for we're looking for long term partnerships rather than short term contract wins because you know we we believe we can add more value to the customer by having those longer term relationships because they see us as a partner it's a time perspective is interesting isn't it that often and sometimes it's not a criticism of salespeople or sales managers it's how they're measured and driven inside the organization close the month close the quarter which i think sometimes leads to short-term tactical behavior rather than the long-term kind of kind of focus so uh, richard you you i know you incentivize your folks in some different ways, don't you, than what you might normally see? We do. I mean, always playing around with this, and I still don't think we found the uh, the perfect answer yet, if, if it exists. But yeah, we don't we don't pay standard commission, Emma, to our, our SDR teams. Um, why? Because ultimately, we believe it drives the wrong behavior, because um, our business is, is about creating meaningful qualified opportunity for our customers then to go and do further discovery and to hopefully propose and close if you're giving someone 50 quid for creating a meeting you know end of months need another couple of those because i'm going out of the weekend yeah it's just and you know i wouldn't blame anyone for that either really but it just drives the wrong behavior so always playing with it we do have a reward model it's based on on competency so demonstrate to us that you're getting better at your job, demonstrate to us that you live and breathe our values and we'll pay you more. And we've just created a new scheme which went live beginning of April where we take a percentage of our quarterly number 
it goes into a pot. It's almost a bit like the uh, the lottery, you know, where you have Euro millions. It's, <laughs> it's this. Um, and everyone on that team across all of our customers has the opportunity to um, to take their to take their share of it. So it's you know, it's, it's up to them, down to them. Um, and so it is there is incentive then in there, but it's just nuanced slightly differently with, you know, we hope to create the um, the right results, which lead to, to long term value. I, I was doing a bit of work. It'd be interesting to know, you know, how our how RS looks at this. But I was doing a bit of work in our business recently on lifetime value of our customers, and a couple of a couple of customer names popped out, which really, frankly, surprised me. But they've been with us for eight nine years. They've bought from us consistently, and guess what? They're in the top ten. Not there's no big show or dance. They're consistent. You know, they've used us all, always on that time frame. It all adds up. You know, so uh, it's it's that lifetime value piece. You can learn a lot of lessons through sort of SaaS businesses and, and how they measure. You know, it's become very scientific and be interesting to know how you look at that from an RS perspective. Yeah, we, we've got a, a vast array uh, of customers, you, you know, right at the top of the pyramid, corporate, MOD, large, multi-site, pan, well, global organizations to small businesses that are probably third tier suppliers somewhere each with with different goals so you know we're fortunate because we've got the infrastructure to measure the lifetime value of, of a customer right from when we do that acquisition to retention and how they move through that customer life cycle um, and and it's interesting and fascinating especially with some smaller businesses how you're helping and enabling them to grow and fulfill their professional and business ambitions whilst also at the top you're helping the infrastructure of the uk yeah, well. yeah so, so it, 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 it's too you, you know you're keeping food on the tables you're keeping hospitals running schools go so there are two different we're a purpose-led organization so from an innovate and help businesses to create and become something truly different to you know maintaining the infrastructure of the uk really means something to our people because we are there we are by their side that's wonderful i love the (laughs) that's uh, amazing i love i love the the customer spread is is quite impressive to say the least right gosh that must take some uh, different understanding of the different customer types simon i i made a note there uh, just made a mental note of durham lane has some some way to go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> helping keep the country running right that's uh that is that is quite so i was just as well just on that previous points you know about the people closing the month and the quarter i just wonder how many businesses have really effectively trained their customers to wait until the end of the quarter to spend so they know they get a discount and it's just you know you're just basically you're incentivizing your customer to ask for a discount aren't you and you've created the monster yourself you know yeah 100 percent. yeah i was once part of a business that tried to shift from being very quarterly driven to being monthly driven and, and we totally failed just you know just couldn't couldn't change the discipline and part of the problem was the US didn't follow suit, so we were just doing it as a UK entity. But it's a real mindset. And actually, I think your customers get used to that mindset, Simon, as you were saying. And so they think, well, I'm not going to do anything until the end of the quarter, because why would I? 
Yeah, because I know what's going to happen because it happens yeah. every quarter. Well, or at least every quarter, the salesperson's behind on on quota, and away we go. And it's the brave salesperson who goes, "No." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 A little bit of a career suicide, perhaps. Maybe. So, mm. uh, Emma, in our in our pre-conversation before we came on air, you you mentioned that you wanted to challenge some of the preconceptions about what a sales and marketing professional should be i'd be really interested richard and i would love to know more about that aim and give us a bit of insight into that you know one of my aspirations whilst um i'm custodian of the uk and ireland market is i want to create communities because people want to belong to communities that's the whole definition right and then from those communities we can get teams of people to work together to deliver outcomes and you've got to understand a bit of the history of our industry um you know we learn from history don't live in it but the background is that it is very male dominated um there is a high proportion of people in in roles that are of a certain age um And when you look at the balance, we've probably got more females in our inside sales than we have in more of our senior sales roles that are dealing with C-suite executives in in multinational organisations. And so sometimes in some roles, what we're looking for is industry experience, but not industry baggage. And, And the key to that is that growth mindset. How can you think about your role differently in terms of being part of a community rather than a job role that is specified and you know and just a list of activities that you do Um, so having that curiosity and the belief that you can advance and have different types of conversations that you probably haven't had before so you're going to be uncomfortable which links all to that that growth mindset Um, And I've got a real passion that I want females, um, especially within our industry and especially with different ethnicities and cultures and perspectives to go, I want either sales or marketing to be a destination for my career. Um, And and I am purposely wanting to go into that, that arena and be a professional within that. And for me, development is a two way street. You know, it's push and pull. We can give you some skills and give you some experiences, but you've really got to want to grasp them and and open your mind to connect the dots through that whole customer life cycle. There's no point just being an expert in one part of the customer life cycle because it's a continuum. Um, And that's really important to me, uh, having the belief to just think differently, ask different questions, be a little bit more curious to be able to be proud of being a professional within sales or marketing. Yes, it's often not um, marketing, maybe, but sales is often not regarded as a profession. You know, is that kind of perception, isn't it, of it? And I, I have to say, you know, certainly from my background, I was in fast-moving consumer goods and there was almost an unwritten rule many many years ago that it was okay for women to be in the call center but it wasn't okay for them to be in field sales roles and it you know crazy kind of not that long ago and then some pioneers sort of broke through did really well and the organization i think started to have to wake up to the fact that 
you know, we're missing a trick here. It's really important because different perspectives drive different outcomes to solve different problems. Um, and, and, you know, it is a generational thing with the industry that we're, we're in. We're never going to magically turn it overnight. But if we can make, you know, sales within um, RS Group an exciting destination, whether that's at an entry level or whether you're an experienced professional business leader, because going back to the question earlier, people don't want to be sold to. They want their business problem solved. You know, and, and, and that's what's important. If you can have a commercial conversation around a business problem, then then that opens the door to a lot more talent. Well, also, there's a lot of nonsense, isn't there, about what sort of people the customer will feel comfortable with. And I think they'll feel comfortable with somebody who helps to give them the solution they need to their problems. And then Absolutely. age, gender, everything else is is an irrelevance because the customer's got someone who they know is going to help them achieve what they want to achieve. And, you know, hopefully then you'll see some changes in the, uh, you know, demographics taking place. I would say when, I, when I'm training people in, in our methodology that, you know, can you be a strategic resource from day one? No. Can you think like one from day one? Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the, that's the difference. It's about being a it's about being a business professional. It's about help. I've always thought, and a bit like Emma, you were saying earlier, I think it's, you know, I, I mean, I always say it's the, the, big, the biggest and best trip up that ever happened to me was getting a job in sales because no one, no one recommended it. They said, Richard, we think you'd be great at market research. That was, that was the, uh, you know, that was the career's advice. But just have this sort of knack of putting my feet in the shoes of the person I'm talking to and being interested in them and, and then solutioning. and it's amazing that that's a job isn't it i've always i've always felt so privileged and lucky that actually it's a job you know and, um and uh and i i still and you know being careful not to get onto my pet subject but the the lack of signposting of sales as a career is still shockingly poor out of it's any scary, education actually. any educational yeah. institution worldwide yeah. and the uk is behind other countries certainly but it's getting better but it's still way behind where it should be. Well, I think you might find Mar sales, the hybrids, yes. might be the attractive <laughs> career option that, that Emma's going to be going to be championing. Emma's, so. Emma's Mar Sales Academy. I can see it now. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. I'll, I'll sign up. I'm 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 in. I'm in. Well, and, sorry, uh, sorry. Just one. Yeah, just sure. quick. And um, we're joking about that, but actually, the sales professional of the future needs to be a Mar Sales professional because actually, we've gone digital. You're peaking digital yeah. attention. You need to be savvy when it comes to being able to use, you know, technology to get your message across, to interact, to communicate. And you need to have all of those sales and solution sales skills to be able to then nurture and discover properly and to present and negotiate mm. and close. And so actually we're joking, but you have to be both, don't you? You have to be a, yeah. a T-shaped person, I think they say, don't they? So fantastic and i'd be really interested on that on the the subject of sort of bringing in external um support i know we, we had a chat about this as well before we came on the air um when should an organization consider outsourcing or bringing in external sales or and or marketing resources or mar sales uh, resources perhaps i ought to have said I find this fascinating because I think lots of organisations are just self-obsessed that they have to solve every problem themselves. 
Um, so I think, you know, there is always an opportunity to use expertise from outside. You know, time, capacity and sometimes capability are barriers to achieving goals um, at pace. So if you find the right partner, um, and I choose that word carefully because it has to be a partnership if, if you're going to outsource because it's your brand, it's your values, it's your purpose that, that you are asking someone to, to support you with and represent. Um, but if that partner has aligned values and there's an alignment in purpose, then there's mutual benefit. And, and I, you know, it fascinates me why people think that everything has to be done internally or if you go I've seen many outsource relationships where the intent was right but then it became adversarial because it wasn't in the right mindset to go how do we achieve together because that's what it has to be um, and I, th I think it should be considered at every opportunity and any opportunity because again it's the best solution what is going to be the best solution so it goes back to that growth mindset you have to be open-minded in business today you have to be yeah and try some some different things richard you must have a perspective on this because you you'll you'll see it from the external partner. Partner. Yeah. yeah um yeah i was i think it's a bit of a philosophical question i in fact i very openly say that to to customers right at the beginning of the conversation that I think Emma's absolutely spot on. Some are just so close to the idea of letting go of any element of their process that it's not going to work. And that's fine because there are lots that aren't closed off to it. But I would also sort of counter it with not it's not right to outsource all the time. And sometimes outsourcing isn't right forever because, you know, we often get asked to prove prove a proposition or to prove a new marketplace and we can do it faster and you know, and we should be able to do it faster and we should be able to scale more rapidly than if you were doing it yourselves. And I think the value add, which people often forget, is that we got, what, 45 customers that we're working on at any one time, 40 to 45. So you're getting all of that insight and value um, for free, really. You know, so I think that's the bit that people miss when they think, oh, well, we need to do everything ourselves. Um because there's a huge amount of learning that, and, and I see it, I'm really passionate that um, we have an absolute obligation to deliver back insight. It's not just about creating outcomes, but it's about the insight and, you know, whether a customer says yes or a customer says no, why? And that will be the first question on Emma's lips would be, well, why were they interested or why weren't they? And, and that's our job to deliver that back. And yeah, it's timing, but one one of our one we talk about the three P's for us is people, process, and partnership. So it's probably pretty aligned to what Emma was saying there. I think. I mean, I often say when I'm working with sales teams that you've got to remember, ninety nine percent of the time, the customer is head down inside their own organisation, getting it be that the Ministry of Defence or whoever whoever it is, large corporate, small starter, they haven't got the time to see that broader picture and to get those insights from the market. So there is so much value for suppliers i think to bring and to help to educate customers and then you become a real trusted partner you're seen as a source of authoritative advice you know and don't like to be sold to but they quite like being helped to make really good buying decisions i think is is one way of kind of fl flipping it around yeah and you know 
we're a large organization so can we be as agile and flexible as someone like Richard's organization we probably would love to be but in reality it's just never going to happen so where you want to test learn test learn evolve get those insights for me it's always about what's important and why why is it that you want to achieve something and how can you quickly get the results and the insights to make informed decisions um, and just as you know our customers want to be data driven and insight led so do we as organizations so we, we've just got to make sure we we think laterally sometimes yeah. and you know it's not always created here that is best <laughs> No, that's uh, that's uh, that's a great. I think that's a great philosophy and a great a great way to to think about it. So, Emma, thank you so much for sharing all of those fantastic insights uh, with us. It's been absolutely uh, absolutely fascinating to sort of to see inside your perspective inside the organisation and and you know best of luck with all of those uh, very admirable changes that you're, you're going to be uh, driving. Uh, Richard, any closing thoughts, comments from you, sir? Oh, I've got low. I've loved that, Emma. Thank you so much. Um, your customer rhetoric or customer passion. I love that one. Um, Mars sales, we've talked about a lot. Data-led decision-making based on value. Industry experience, but not industry baggage. How cool is that? If I was yeah. listening to this podcast and thinking of a change, then I'm thinking, oh, actually, you know, this could be something for me here. And then finally, what's important and why? Something we should always, always be asking ourselves all of the time, I guess. So, yeah, it's been great, Emma. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Loved it. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.